Welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? We got NBA draft entrance. We got transfer portal news. What can I say? It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. (laughs) Indeed it is, good sir. Indeed it is. And we are joined with an old friend of the podcast, someone we haven't talked to in far too long, a fan favorite, a true professional, and one of the most handsome, if not the most handsome man on the Cincinnati Bearcats beat. Justin Williams of The Athletic is back on the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. Justin, welcome. Thanks, guys. I, I will, uh, I'll take the compliment. Um, we don't need to dive into the... The facts of it or, or whether it's true or not but i appreciate it and i'm glad to be back thanks for having me indeed sir indeed and I, I definitely want before we got into the nuts and bolts of bearcat sports and any other silliness that uh, that i promise you is coming from our discord channel because we did prepare people for the fact that you were going to be coming on this podcast i just did want to cede the floor to you uh, for an opportunity to speak on Frankly, you know, a huge loss in the Bearcat community, which is uh, Chad Brendel's wife, Kelly, who passed away a few short days ago. Um, so, Justin, I'll, I'll I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, I just I just wanted to lift up Chad and his his family real quick. Obviously, a, a really tough time, and I think everyone that follows the Bearcats uh, knows Chad and knows the work he's done on the beat. Uh, you know, he's he's been a great friend and colleague to me during my time on the beat. Uh, so, just you know, want to let him know it's it's obviously a really difficult time. I think a lot of people have followed just kind of all the the struggles that, that Kelly's been with through her health, and so uh, you know, we're, we're thinking about Chad and thinking about his family, and uh, just uh, want to keep him keep him close to heart. Absolutely. Uh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking to follow along, heartbreaking to see, and uh, appreciate you mentioning it here at the beginning of the podcast. So as we awkwardly transition into something much less significant and, and important, it is, it is like Hummer said at the top, there, there has been some news in Bearcat land, and that is the fact that we do have two members of the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team who have decided to take their talents elsewhere. In one case, Landers Nolly has decided to enter his name into the NBA draft. He still does have the option, I think, of, of coming back to college. He is maintaining his eligibility, though I think there's a lot of people that assume this is heading in one direction. And then Jeremiah Davenport, a four-year big-time player at the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program, hometown kid, has officially put his name into the transfer portal and made the announcement that he will not be returning as well. So, Justin, I ask of you, is this where it stops? Or is this just the beginning in terms of what we're seeing with the Bearcats involvement or Bearcats exodus in the transfer portal? Uh, I'd say middle, maybe. First, I would say I don't I wouldn't say that it's leaning one way on on Landers, uh, you know, you referencing the NBA. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that means it's leaning the other way either. Uh, I do think there's, you know, I think he maintained his eligibility for a reason. I do think there's a, a chance that at the end of this, he decides to, to come back. Um, you know, he, he's a smart guy. He has, I think, good people in his he- ear directing him. Um, you know, he, he knows there's some NIL opportunities uh, for him at the college level. He knows that since now he's playing in the Big 12, he knows he would be kind of the, the top featured player. So certainly if he feels like he has good opportunities uh, to play professionally or if, 
you know, the feedback he gets from the NBA is good or, or he looks good in some workouts. I'm not going to be blown away if he ends up going that route. Uh, I also won't be blown away if he's wearing a Cincinnati Bearcats uniform next season. Um, the, the thing that'll be interesting there is I believe the NCAA withdrawal date is May 31st for the NBA draft. I do think no matter what he decides, it'll be pretty close to that deadline that, that, that we have a decision. Um, and so that'll be interesting just from kind of a roster management level for, for Wes Miller and the entire Bearcat staff, because if you're not sure that you have him, that's a big piece you would have to replace if you lose him. So how do you kind of juggle what you're doing in the transfer portal that way? Um, so certainly going to be some, some intrigue on that front and probably for a while. Uh, but yeah, I, Jeremiah Davenport uh, went in the transfer portal. I, I don't think that was totally unexpected. Um, I, I think when I wrote my uh, end of the season kind of wrap up piece, that was a, a name that was a possibility. And I, I don't think that'll be the the last Bearcat player that, that goes in the transfer portal. Um, but I also don't think we're going to see like a huge wave, massive numbers uh, changing over moving forward either. On the Landers Nolly front, can I just want to interject quickly, Hummer? Is is there any element of this where Wes Miller and his staff, and let's say Cincy Reigns Collective, would be making a case for him to return, like actively recruiting him to not stay in the in the NBA draft? I, I mean, they want him back, and I, you know, I'm I'm sure Wes Miller has has told him that you know he's he said it publicly that he wants all the guys back. I, I think he genuinely wants Landers back. They know how good of a player he is, you know there's also that thing when you're a coach, like if the feedback you get your player gets is good and, and going to the NBA or, or playing professionally is like the right thing personally for that player and his family and his life and things like that. It's, it's hard as a coach, as good as that player might be to kind of say like, Oh no, no, come on, come, come, come back to college for another year. So if it's a situation where Wes genuinely felt like, no, the right thing for you to do Landers is to go pursue a professional career. I think you would tell him that. I think he would give him, you know, the advice that is best for him. But yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't think this is a situation where Lander said, I'm declaring and Wes said, all right, you know, go with God. It was great knowing you like they're definitely in contact. Um, you know, Landers is close with Wes. He's close with Chad Dollar. Uh, he's close with a lot of people in the program. So it's just going to be one of those things where I think it's going to be this ongoing process. And because of how late that deadline is, you know, if even if Landers goes up till mid to late May, that that's just going to, you know, take some, some juggling and probably some trust on the part of the staff of like, all right, do we feel like we are getting them back? If we are, let's try and plan to build the roster that way. If we're starting to feel like maybe he's getting really good feedback and that might be the best thing for him, then we have to kind of switch up how we're, we're recruiting. So it, it will be interesting, but I, I definitely think this isn't a case where like Wes is going to be sitting around waiting for, for Landers to make his decision in a couple months and, and then be caught off guard by it. You're muted. Oh, you're muted, Hummer. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was my squeaky chair. Uh, I had to mute myself for my squeaky chair. No, like, I wanted to ask that question about, you know, what what is the staff doing? How do you prepare, you know, for that that awkward transition right now? If, is Landers here? Is, is he not coming back? Are they, you know, are they actively recruiting to that spot now in, in that for that uh, potential outcome? Or are they... You know, like, is there kind of like a sit and wait period before they start really trying to identify talent to replace someone like Landers Nolly? Yeah, I think if it's Landers or just in general, I think you have different scenarios. Because the other trouble that I think 
a lot of coaches are finding in the transfer portal is like, oh, I really like this player who's out there and maybe we have a chance at him. Maybe we could go get him. But, you know, oh, we're hearing this guy might jump in the portal. Or remember last week when we really liked this guy and then, you know, a hundred more guys jumped in the portal and it turns out we like some of them. So I, I do really think it's tough because with the way this window is set up, what is it, May 11th, I think is when the, the first window closes. Like, there's still going to be a few more weeks, I think, of players, legitimate players, big time players going into the transfer portal. And so you you run this risk of if you jump on somebody early because you like them and you know you can get them, maybe you pass up on the chance of getting somebody else in a couple weeks, um, you know, who hasn't gotten the portal yet or maybe is still kind of feeling out their options. And I think it's the same way with something like this. Like, okay, you have a scenario A where we have one spot and we need a big, and so this is what we're going to do in that spot. Or we have two spots and we need a perimeter guy. Or, you know, one of the the second spot is Landers and we need to go get a, a you know, a score on the wing or something like that. Um, so it's certainly not easy. I mean, this is, you know, part of the job. This is what they're paid to do. Uh, but I definitely think it's like multiple scenarios are kind of up on the whiteboard and you're having to kind of hold them all in balance and, and see what makes sense. And, and probably within that you have like a, a top list, right. Of like, here's the guys who, if they say yes, we're taking them, you know, no matter what, even if we don't have a spot, we'll take them and we'll, we'll figure it out later. Um, but if, if they're not part of that, you know, kind of like wish list, you know, cream of the crop, then you're, you're kind of going back to that whiteboard and saying like, all right, how, how does this, does this make us better next year? How much better does this make us next year? Does this make sense to, to do this now? Uh, and, and I think kind of Landers and whether he comes back or whether he doesn't is all part of that. I definitely don't want to get caught up on Landers too long. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation and the point you made about Coaches not wanting to discourage players with solid or good feedback at the professional ranks. They don't want to discourage them from staying there when you have those types of opportunities. I do think the new element is being able to say, you know, I don't want to discourage you from staying from from you know pursuing your dreams in the NBA. However, were you to stay, our boy B Fox over here has got a five hundred thousand dollar check with your name on it. So it's a little different. It's just a little different than it might might have been in the past. I'm not sure on the compliance phrasing of that sentence, but I will say <laughs> if, uh, if if Landers does not come back to Cincinnati, it will not be for a lack of NIL opportunities. Uh, can we just be clear? Isn't Ohio going to be passing some sort of bill like Oklahoma that's just going to shield mostly Ohio State, maybe a little bit of, of Cincinnati from the ramifications of any kind of NCAA violations from NIL? <laughs> That that sounds like a question for the previously mentioned B Fox. I that's 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 we're way out of my element now. Before you were coming on, I mentioned the fact that I did I did pose a thread in the in the uh, Catskiller Social Club Discord channel, which we both think you're in currently, and we have ideas of of burner accounts that may or may not be you in the okay. Catskiller Social Club. Well, we might throw out some names, and you can confirm or deny whether these are actually you in the Discord. But I want to make sure we get some of these questions asked. They're very, they're hard hitting questions, tough questions, questions I wouldn't have thought of had I not posed them to the group. And my first one to you is from the councilman, Joe Barnett, a friend of the podcast, um, someone who is well regarded in the administration. Would you rather fight 100 duck sized horses or one horse sized duck? 100 horse sized ducks or 100. <laughs> duck-sized horses 100 ducks duck-sized horses yes without question give me i mean give me your thought process why 
Are you? I I can drop kick a duck sized horse. I cannot drop kick a horse sized duck. Horses are huge. <laughs> I will take my chances. Like a hundred's a lot, but I'm I'm not going to be able to outrun a horse sized duck. I'm guessing it might still also be able to fly. And <laughs> that's true. It's uh, a great point. A duck sized horse will at least stay grounded and will be at at prime kicking angle. So. You ducks know, are nasty rolling boulders or you know you know swinging a big branch around that's going to help me a lot more with the the duck sized horses. so it excites All you to, it excites you to kick the shit out of a hundred baby horses it, only for survival purposes <laughs> not as like a leisure activity thank you councilman for that wonderful question Thank you indeed. So you meant you mentioned the the compliance, you know, not necessarily being in compliance language favor there. Another question we actually have from this channel is is in reference to the NIL collectives. So like I guess maybe more from that compliance standard, how do these NIL collectives work? Do you have any insight on the behind the scenes working of, of what what's involved there? Well, they're all different. Um, there are some that are probably a lot more involved or have a lot more um, power and hands-on power than others maybe less uh, care for rules too yes definitely maybe they don't have um you know lawyers who have passed the bar who are who are running things um i think it's pretty clear of the fact that john cunningham has literally sat on a dais with brian fox with the since logo right. behind him that he feels pretty confident in and in, in the compliance our in shit way. is buttoned up it's very yeah buttoned it, up. it certainly seems that way um, is this a good time to announce the Catscaler Social Club NIL collective that has no rules and no regards for compliance whatsoever? It's all crypto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to to the moon. Um, so I guess like so that that's a broad question. I guess I might be able to speak to how Cincy Reigns more specifically works. But yeah, the, I would say that they're all there are some collectives that have no like support or acknowledgement or backing from the you know, university or athletic department or, or things like that. And then there are some that have clear alignment, like Cincy Reigns. Uh, and I think those are certainly set up better for success than maybe some of the others. One thing about Cincy Reigns being so tightly connected and in, in line with the administration is that if that day and time comes where there are rules put in place, or let's say schools or programs themselves start paying players or, or are forced to pay players, I do think there is the possibility of Reigns essentially transferring uh, their funds and everything that's been acquired directly to the university, as opposed to a collective that's completely separate, truly wild, wild west, just rich guys throwing around bags, whereas that money's not going to necessarily pass its way down to it to an administration. Is there is there some thought process in that piece of it, do you think? Yeah, and I, I mean, with the, the way the collectives and the NIL is set up like no one really has any idea how it's going to work in the NCAA sense and you know it is a credit to Cincy Reigns and some of the other ones that are doing it the right way but at least so far there's been very little jurisdiction on the NCAA's part to step in for those ones that where it might be the wild wild west and say like hey what you're doing is wrong and we're going to come down on you like that that hasn't happened uh I, I think the way as I understand it is like if you know a, a player is being recruited and they say you know hey coach Satterfield hey coach Miller coach Merriweather whatever tell me about you know what, what can I get NIL wise at Cincinnati or how does NIL work and they say 
well, look, we don't have anything to do with that, but you know, here's, you know, we'll get you in touch with some people, whether it's like the NIL liaison there at the university, Greg Harrell, who, you know, works through, uh, I think it's Altius and, and works with the university, or if they can send them directly to Cincy Reigns, I'm not sure, but they can basically like direct them to here's some, you know, where we have, might have some NIL opportunities that would interest you. Uh, and I think from there, then you can start going into talking to the people that can actually handle that. Um, but yeah, it, it's clear that Cincy Reigns has has kind of set it up the right way and done it in a way that the university feels comfortable tethering them, you know, tethering the university to Cincy Reigns in some way. So my last question with regard to how it works exactly, dot, 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 would be, let, they sign these deals. It, last year, it was, it was with David DeJulius, Trey Tucker. This year, you see Daniel Skillings, Dante Corleone, several other players. Is the collective paying these players to advertise using their name, image, and likeness on behalf of the collective? Like, is it a circular relationship like that? That It's as simple as that, right? Yeah. Again, I'd have to, like, how it all, you know, funnels through for tax purposes, I'm not sure. But it's, um, like, the, the since he reigns as a clearinghouse and an LLC. So basically, like, you know, if, if the players agree to – um, the terms of an NIL contract with Cincy Reigns, then, you know, whatever that stipulates, you go and read to a, an elementary school or you do some community service like that can then get you the NIL payment. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously the other opportunities. They're all signed up on. I, I don't want to say the wrong one. I think they use influencer at Cincinnati. Maybe it's a different one. There's these, you know, these platforms that you can sign up for uh, that the athletes are on. And if a local business or a national business, you know, reaches out and says, Hey, we want you to, you know, do a a skyline chili ad or a Kroger ad, or, you know, we're going to send you some simply fresh products and you post them on your Instagram account or whatever it is like they can do that too. And that gets, you know, can set up through another way. Or if you're Des Ritter or Sauce Gardner, you have like a literal NIL agent and, you know, they call and set everything up through that. And that's how Des Ritter is in a DoorDash commercial or wearing Bose headphones or whatever. Um, So there's definitely different levels to it uh, and there's different avenues for them to do it. But, yeah, Cincy Reigns, I think, pretty obviously has kind of glommed on to like, here are some athletes that we think really represent the Cincy Reigns brand and ideals uh, with that first class that they kind of put out. And uh, I, I think you'll see that moving forward, but there's, there's tons of different avenues, like the, the pro camps thing that they they've done some different events. Uh, the, you know, Cincinnati football and basketball teams have that whole crosstown. I don't know what they called it. Like crosstown, crosstown sh- fan fest. It wasn't a sh- yeah. Well, yeah. Like that thing that was all put on by, by pro camps. All those players got NIL money to, to participate in that. So there's a bunch of different kind of pots that, that they can go to, to, to get some NIL opportunities. Now, is the do you know if the collective has partnered, or are they planning on partnering, or, or future plans to like offer players or incoming prospective players like brand management advice, or partnering with local advertising firms in Cincinnati to help with brand management, or maybe connecting to larger you know local brands? You know, uh, is there any? Do you know of any partnerships that exist, or are they they offering any of those types of services to the players? I don't know if Cincy Reigns has that specifically, but that is part of the um, like the NIL organization that 
the university is set up like through influencer and with that altius the the nil liaison that they have part of like the resources of all of that is talking to players about brand management and, and helping them make connections with whether it be local businesses or social media you know whatever so you know it's all thing that they have certainly um you know put thought into and put resources toward and honestly like it's probably a little bit up to the athlete right like athletes that really want to go for it and be engaged they can you know probably take advantage of those resources and and use them and you know if if you're not that interested in it then maybe don't you know put that much effort to it but the sense i get is that if there's something in the nil sphere that athletes are interested in one way or another the university or you know the the collective something they can be involved in can can help them with that all right i can't take it anymore i'm done talking about the money in the nil um, I just can't do it. So we go back. Please to- direct all uh, all questions to B Fox Radio or whatever his handle. I should have just I- asked a yes or no question. Do you trust B Fox or not? Yes or no? I do. I okay. do. There With is. my life, legally and personally. Boom. Are you a Taylor Swift fan? Yes. I'm going. Hundred percent trustworthy. I'm going to Paycor. Uh, I believe June thirtieth. Well, that leads to what's, what's the favorite Era's, song? Era's tour. That was that was a fantastic transition, Hummer, because a question from Captain Cincy, uh, Mr. Steal Yo Logo, was what your favorite Taylor Swift song is. Favorite song? Yes. Your go-to. What you do Look, push-ups do in the morning. Yeah. Um I've always this is going backwards. I've always caped up for back to December. Felt she was really in her bag lyrically. Um, I know it's a deep cut. I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it, guys. Um, I think I think that's an underrated. Like everyone, like yeah, all too well is great. I get it. But, but you know, I think back to December is where we really started to see like she she could be a a banger of a songwriter. I'll give you another deep cut. It's kind of embarrassing. Like I don't know how people feel about the Lover album when London Boy comes on. Always a good time. Oh yeah, always a good time. Great time. I'm a sucker for Heartbreak Kid. Yeah, that's a good one too. Uh, I don't even know if that's the name of the song, but uh, that—that's I'm a sucker for that. What's your favorite era? Like, what are I actually? What's your least favorite era? This is—I heard it's a three-hour and ten-minute show mm. with two opening acts. It's a total of like five hours. What she's been playing, like what the concert's been going. You're gonna have to take a pee break. Yeah, that's gonna be. Which tough. era are you skipping? So my T Swift hot take is that the first half of red is her best album and the second half of red is her worst album um which i don't think i actually believe but it's like a good one to kind of throw out sounds like cool swifty fans will like get really angry about it um i mean 1989 is like that's her best album i think um personally i'm an i'm i'm born in 1989 we're, we're kindred spirits in that way uh i do i'm holding out hope i'm a big the national fan um because i am um a, a white middle-aged man from Cincinnati. It's like required. Uh, I've been I'm, vibing I'm, with the national. I only recently discovered yeah. them and I can't stop listening to it. Is it just because Great. I'm sad. in my mid thirties? Yes. Sad dad rock. Okay. It's, it's just the way to go. Amazing. Um, I'm really holding out hope that the national. Sad dad rock. Are, that, that's going to happen. Is that going to happen to me guys? Is that really what I have to look forward to? Yeah, I mean, you were talking about WD 40 when we, when I logged on here. So like you're, you're already there. Hummer. Congratulations. Oh man. Um, but I'm really hoping that they're like a guest act. Uh, you know, when she comes to, to Cincy to, to do the shows, that would be incredible. I'm trying to manifest that. I'm putting that out there into the world. If there's any Swifties, you know, listening to the Cincy Slang and podcast, let's, let's get the national there to, to do Coney Island on, on June 30th. My sneaky favorite bop from the 1989 album, which is a masterpiece is how you get the girl. Just 
absolutely mm. blast it. Dance around the living room with the kids. Amazing time. I will say at one point it was like, oh yeah, my wife's a big Taylor Swift fan. So I also am you know familiar with and listen to the music. And at some point I either got over that or just stopped pretending that was true. And I'm, I'm all in. It's incredible. Honestly, robust That's answer. It, it impressed me. <laughs> Uh, what, well, all right. one more thing, Hummer. I think it, it's kind of related to Taylor Swift. Not really. This is pre-Taylor. This certainly predates the era of Taylor Swift. But the the sensibility of like turning on a Taylor Swift album, really getting into it and, and getting into your emotions makes me mm. want to ask you what your AIM screen name was. So I, I don't think I had anything like super um interesting i think it was just like my initials or something like that i don't think it's something cool but definitely would have been some like borderline emo lyrics or or something you know posted as my uh, away message as your away message um, yes yeah yeah who like was, who was I, the I mean, band? I, it, what band would you have been what band would oh, you have been quoting question i'm sure there were like some angsty blink 182 yeah. lyrics uh, at some point a lot i would say like a lot of the music from that era i was either too cool to acknowledge that I liked at the time, like Nickelback. Well, no, um, Nickelback's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Please like, just don't, don't play with me. My paper heart uh, will bleed. Yeah. What's what's uh, is that all American rejects? That is all American rejects. Yeah, see, there you go. That would have been fine. I'm talking more like Michelle branch. Like I probably mm. should have been more honest about how much I adore Michelle branch when I was like that age. I can, I can say it now openly um what's the the first kelly clarkson album that came out uh what is that um oh why am i not remembering this hummer you should know this come on why should i know this first kelly clarkson album. my wife's a kelly clarkson fan i don't know whatever the, Breakaway. Like, the first one that Breakaway. Breakaway. yeah that is just an all-time fantastic album i would not have said that at whatever time that album came out i was much too macho and cool to think that but i mean since you've been gone stands the test of time yeah. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what else I would have probably put on, on my AIM away message, but certain, certainly something that would make me both um, shudder with shame today, but would probably also still be on my Spotify playlists. You were certainly emoting. We could, we can all <laughs> rest assured of that. What's it like working with uh, in, in the athletic department, a guy who does not emote at all who keeps his cards so close to the vest that literally no one has anything idea of what's going on, uh, John Cunningham. And with that, I'm just going to get into the real question here is, why is the biggest secret not the worst kept secret in Bearcat basketball right now not being announced? And that's Jordan Brand. If it, if it were done, it would be announced. <laughs> that's all I get. There are, there are multiple elements to an apparel deal, specifically – you know, if, if that potential apparel deal, uh, is Meacham holding so, up the deal? See, he just, he just said that he just said that deal. Like he had, he had to change it there. <laughs> Meacham's holding say, it up. Meacham's trying to leverage I, himself into the deal. I would just say, I understand people are very interested and excited and whatever apparel deal might be coming down the pike. The, if it were done, it would be announced. I mean, we got rumors swirling. We have we have video of players that surfaced online uh, confirming the existence of a deal. 
we have uh, after the Hofstra game, there was a, a fan, and I happened to be there when this happened. Uh, we heard it. We heard him say that Jordan Brand was was coming. Yeah, but that player looked like he stepped on a kitten after he said it. He like looked around like, "What did I do?" I will also say whether or not that is true or ends up being true. When a strange person approached you and asked you a question where they're clearly looking for an affirmative answer, usually you just give them the affirmative answer <laughs> to try fair. and avoid that any you know uncomfortable <laughs> follow ups or anything like that. So, look, I know. Trust me, I'm asking about it. I'm 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 putting putting a lot of questions and, and feelers out there. It's, it's something that they're working very hard on, um, but there's just a, a lot wrapped up and tied into it. Do you, well, you, bring, you bring up a good point. I'll ask you a question that's not looking for an affirmative answer then okay. on, on the Apero deal. Are there other companies that we're talking to other than Jordan Brand? Are there multiple bidders per se in the process that we're going through? I wouldn't quite phrase it that way. The, the new era of um, apparel brands is that you're, you know, it's, there's never going to be a deal for Cincinnati, probably like the past Under Armour deal where they're getting millions of dollars, you know, funneled into them every year. That's just not the way, unless you're like top, top, top tier, that's not the way the apparel brands work anymore. Uh, they're definitely exploring, you know, have explored. This is you know, part of the buyout with Under Armour, even while they were under contract as like a product supply agreement, Under Armour school, they were still allowed to negotiate you know, and look for other apparel deals. So this is something they've been working on for a long time. Um, they've now kind of gotten up to the point where like they're at the point where they can get out of that Under Armour deal. So that's why it's a little bit different right now. Um, but they've certainly uh, done their due diligence as an athletic department in terms of other opportunities and talking to other brands and things like that. How do you think Wes Miller, I'm going to completely pivot on you here. Okay. This past basketball season, lots of wins, like the raw win total looks impressive but I think when you, you peek behind the curtain a little bit, it, it lacked a certain amount of chutzpah, for lack of a better term. I, I did not say that right. And if and don't correct me, anyone online. Um, chutzpah? <laughs> I, anyway, whatever, it lacked something. It lacked big wins. So looking at that win total and some of the struggles the team had in the bigger matchups this season, looking back on it all, how, if you give Wes Miller truth serum about how he viewed the season in terms of maximizing everything he could have from this team versus, you know, maybe coming up short, maybe would have doing a few things differently. What, what's his response looking back on this past season? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he would, you know, be glad that they made some clear strides and improvements overall and be disappointed in some places where they fell short. You know, from my perspective, I don't know if I wrote about this before the season. I just kind of went through the schedule and wrote down predictions. So for the regular season, I had them 21 and 10 and 11 and seven in conference. And they were 20 and 11 and 11 and seven in conference. So basically like the Northern Kentucky game, if, if they win that game, then my preseason prediction, I didn't get game by game. Right. But like the outcome was exactly what I predicted back in, you know, October, November, whatever it is. So in that sense, I think Northern Kentucky F's us again. (laughs) Do we need to pull the tapes here? I'm pretty sure uh, we've heard you say you're not a predictions guy. I'm not. That's why I didn't share it with anyone publicly before. So he makes, it just was very, it was just very close to being correct that I can share it afterwards. Um, (laughs) So in that sense, at least from my perspective, I guess it's all a question of expectations, but like they probably performed about the way 
that I thought they should and probably that most people did. I think what you said, though, about like the big games, that was the problem, right? They lost some games they shouldn't have or the Kentucky, East Carolina, that Tulane game. And then they didn't have anything to offset it. They didn't have a Arizona win or a Xavier win or a Houston win or a Memphis win. Nothing where you could say like, oh, yeah, well, we blew the Northern Kentucky game, but hey, they beat Houston at home. That was great. And so I think that is kind of what made it feel a little bit hollow because, all right, if you go back and if they win all the games that they should have won, then it, you're probably saying the same thing. Well, they didn't have any big wins, but you know, hey, they won 23, 24 games, whatever it was in the regular season. You know, they're probably even more so on, you know, they're probably on the bubble if that's the case, um, finishing better in the conference. Uh, and so it, it's probably comes down to a couple games that, you know, they either needed to win a game they shouldn't have, or they needed to not lose a game they shouldn't have. And I, I honestly, I think that's part of the process. Like, you know, I'm a big Ken Palm fan and I'm, I'm big in the analytics. And I also think though, that it's easy to lose sight that these are college kids playing this game. And like, there is something to the fact of you have to win and you have to build up that winning mindset. And I think we saw it in those games. Cause how many times did they get up 10 points in the second half or something like that? And then late in the game, whether they ended up winning it or not, you know, they, you saw them kind of start to struggle and fall apart a little bit. And I, you know, the butt I think cheeks the tightened hope, up the, the butt cheeks. Yeah, definitely. Tightening. Like the, the style of play would change at the end of games. Like the, the score would start shrinking and it wasn't like they were executing the same way they did all game. You would see them kind of settle for, for contested jumpers or deep threes or the path yeah. of least resistance is, is sort of what we saw in those tight moments or in those bigger games. Yeah. It, and it was, you know, oh, I don't want to screw something up, so I'm just going to take this this three and, and hope it goes in, or I'm going to try and be the hero and, and stop the bleeding and take this three and hope it goes in. And Wes even talked about that late in the season. Like, it gets in your head. You're up 10, and now all of a sudden you're up six with, with three minutes left, and it's like, oh, here we go again. And so I, I do think some of it is like a mental mindset mentality approach where you have to prove to yourself you can do that because clearly, like, we saw them and, you know, I, I think for most of the season, maybe even the whole season, the best they played were the first 30 minutes against Houston on the road. And then it completely fell apart. And actually, they didn't even play that bad. Houston just went nuts. Jairus Walker went nuts. And, you know, they looked like a team was a top five team, all that kind of stuff. Cincinnati does not have that yet. And it takes a little while to establish that. And so I think you hope that maybe you took a little bit away from this season. You got better metrically, eye test, however you want to say it. You improved as a program. And now you hope that you've got a little bit more of that winning DNA. Unfortunately, you're going to try and apply that as you move into the Big 12, um, which is just going to be all that more challenging. Um, But they took step forward. And while I think a lot of people, Wes Miller included, would have liked to have seen more steps forward, it was at least moving in the right direction. Absolutely. It, it unequivocally moved in the right direction. I do want to follow up on shot selection because throughout the season, I there was a lot of inconsistency in terms of execution. I would say that actually through two-thirds of the season, you would see the team really rely on a faster pace of basketball, more three-pointers, less insistence on getting the ball down low to Vic or even a rolling Odio Guama, and then post-to-lane collapse we saw a more concerted effort to work the ball inside more, shoot less three-pointers. But you would also see them settle back into that habit when, when the going got tough. So I guess my question is, on the shot selection front, 
does Wes have a problem with it? Because I, I feel like throughout the past two seasons, one of the reasons Jeremiah Davenport became such a polarizing player was due to shot selection. But I, I feel I recall multiple times and multiple press conferences where you were probably there where he said he had no issue with it and, and kind of shooters shoot and you kind of have to trust guys to take those shots. What's your what's your read on Wes Miller and the types of shots this team has we've seen from this team over the first two seasons? Yeah, I think with uh, JD specifically, Wes would have liked a more cognitive shot selection. Like if you go out and you bang your you know two out of your first three and and you're feeling hot, like all right, go ahead, JD. If you go out and you start over four, then maybe like dial it back a little bit. And I just don't think that was JD's strong suit. I think you know he was he was always like a shooter's gonna shoot mentality. And so you know I think for Wes he was trying to kind of straddle that line of like, yeah, I want you to shoot when when they're going in and when you're feeling good but you don't have to you know be that way otherwise and I do think like certain guys have different shot selections right and sometimes that can hurt you because sometimes Landers or or JD or Dave can take a shot that maybe isn't a great shot but you also don't see you know Skillings or Josh Reed or you know whoever else is like you know Vic shooting threes and things like that. There are certainly shots you see guys not taking um, because that's pretty clear. Like this guy has a green light to take certain shots. This guy doesn't. Um, but in the game, sometimes that can get lost. And, you know, I, th- I think there could have been hurried or, or forced shots. Uh, I, I do think that you did at times see them play differently, whether it was like more concerted effort to, to get to the basket uh, and not rely on the three pointer so much. I think the biggest, and this is just my opinion perspective. I don't know if the coaching staff would agree with me or not. I think a lot of Wes's offensive approach and game plan is based on how he wants his team to play defense. And I don't think he has this team playing defense the way he wants to yet. Like if you go back at Greensboro, it was press three quarter court as much as possible, deny the ball. And off of that, play in transition, play fast, you know, take quick shots if you, if you can, or if you want to. And so I I think he's trying to preach both philosophies, but it just, the defense hasn't quite gotten to where he wants it to be. And look, I've asked him about it a bunch. He keeps saying that. Yes. He wants to press. Yes. He wants to play defense, you know, more intensely. Um, And just this, this team, the roster he's had so far, he feels like it hasn't been able to get there. They, you know, they haven't done it much. Um, But I think maybe the offense has suffered a little bit from that as well. Okay, that was a lot of serious Bearcats talk. I've got another one here from Catskiller Social Club. This goes, this is a little more personal, Justin. We're going to get to know the real Justin and, and get a peek behind the curtain. I just if, talked about my love of Taylor Swift, so I don't know how much more personal we could get. But. I didn't even know you loved Taylor Swift like that when, when that question was asked. But if you were not a senior reporter at The Athletic, if you weren't a reporter at all, what would you be? I think you gave me a title bump there. I believe I'm just a staff writer, but I I, I appreciate whoever whoever put that in there. <laughs> Whoever's angling for you a, know what a Hummer fucked me. up the notes again. Hummer, get out. Well, it was supposed to be. I don't know if you know this or if if Coomer mentioned this at the beginning, but you are the Catskeller Social Club sexiest <laughs> Bearcat staff writer. <laughs> We're gonna make him uncomfortable. He's gonna leave. Eat it, Springer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh well let's see if I were not 
if, if I were not in journalism, yes, I would um, maybe be a stay-at-home dad, um, which you know shows my range of skills that I have. Um, it also might show that you've married well. I yes, I have married very well. Hey, now, all right. If I was being a stay-at-home dad, I don't know how much longer I would stay married well. Um, <laughs> but you know, we'll, we'll see. Jeez, uh, I don't know what else I would say. It's it's funny. I feel very fortunate. Like I I wanted to be a writer of some sort in in high school and like i went to college for that uh i've never really had a plan b and i think that answers your question of like it would probably go pretty poorly i'd probably just be looking for whatever job anyone would hire me for skyline waiter that's what that's what i would be (laughs) i would eat i would eat all my tips and i do a damn good job of it (laughs) i have no other interests nor skills outside of writing well, that was another question. What other hobbies do you do you have? <laughs> I I have three children, five or under, five and under. Um, so my hobbies are all on hold. I'm hoping I have a friend coming into town this weekend, and like, if you know, shit doesn't hit the fan, I'm hoping to go golfing on Saturday um, for the first time in a long time. Um, but I, it's going to be like a game time decision. Are you a guy who has like has a handicap or not like a number handicap? Do you own your um, own clubs? I do own my own clubs. They're <laughs> very dusty in my garage right now. I own my own clubs. I recently, I think I lost them a couple years ago though, but they were clubs that were like the loaner set from a horrible golf course and they had to be from like 1986. They were terrible, but man, I played the hell out of them. Not really. I believe mine were passed down from a, a, a deceased relative, um, and I, I hopefully have done them proud. Do you get a sense of the type is in the portal? So, Wes, we've got a few open roster spots right now. Let's say it's two right now. You said we might be midway through portal entries. Let's say it gets to three. Let's say we get to three open spots for next season. Is Wes Miller targeting and his staff, are they targeting specific players in the portal? Like, are they doing their pre-recruiting, you know, AKA we haven't entered the portal yet, but we're getting a sense that there might be interest and we're doing our due diligence or are they looking for a type of player, a profile of player, a certain position? I think both. I think you're, you're looking for, you know, you need a certain position and then who are the guys we like at that spot? Like they know they need a big, um, I know it's been reported. I can confirm Jamil Reynolds, uh, former Temple big man who's in the transfer portal. Uh, he's doing an official visit. I believe he was coming into town tonight um, and, and would be here tomorrow as well. Um, so, like, th- they whether it's Jamil Reynolds or, you know, anyone, they know they need a big. They need someone um, who complements Vic and Odie well, uh, who, who they feel like can be a, a starter contributor at the, at the Big 12 level. Um, I think they want you know whether it's a combo guard or just someone on the perimeter um <laughs> to, want us all off here yeah switching <laughs> switching me in the middle i've been bumped up the speed dial um, i'm producing let me produce they want to i Nobody think they would, would like noticed if you guys didn't say anything maybe i think they would like someone uh in perimeter who can play both you know the one or two spots and you know they you also have to be careful because, like, you don't want to bring in someone that's going to make Davion Thomas or Jizzle James say, like, hey, you know, what the heck? I thought you trusted me and thought I was going to be ready right away. But as a coach, you also have to realize, like, as a JUCO transfer and a true freshman, you know, maybe we should make sure that we, we have some 
you know, other options available. Um, Mike Adams Woods could be one, but I think you still want to have as many people as, as possible that you feel comfortable with in, in the, in the backcourt. And then again, like the Landers thing, just really, you don't feel like you need a dynamic scorer on the wing. If you have Landers Nolly coming back, or you don't feel like you need a knockdown shooter. If you have Landers Nolly coming back, but if Landers leaves, you now lost Landers, Dave, and JD, your three best outside shooters. Like you got to get shooting somewhere, some somehow in there. And so again, that goes back to the whole scenario thing. So yeah, I think they're certainly looking probably, maybe not as simple, but guard, wing, big. And like I would say big is probably top priority right now just because of the way that the roster is set up. Um, and then the rest kind of depends on again, like how do they feel? Who do they feel is coming back to what do they feel about landers? And then you're looking for guys in those kind of silos. Like who do we think would be best fit for us and what we want to do. And then it's all like, all right, can we get that person? Are they interested in us? And sometimes that's evident right away. And sometimes, you know, I think you got to kind of go through the process. I'm just seeing, <laughs> just seeing how long I can sit there without Hummer making a move. <laughs> I um, I, I wanted to ask you about. Oh my, my brain just went blank. Oh, you're so beer. worried about me squeaking the chair. It was beer. And tapping the desk. It was beer. Mm-hmm. It was beer. You're a, you're a beer drinker, I imagine, correct, Justin? I am. I'm I'm drinking a little tea right now. I'm getting getting over a little something, but I, I do en- enjoy a cold pop every once in a while. That's something I didn't mention. Justin is a little bit under the weather, gritting through this. You described it as your personal MJ flu game. I was hoping you would say you described it that way, but yeah, sure, we can we can peek behind the curtain. <laughs> Which I told you was inferring that Hummer is Carl Malone. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's not something you want to take, Hummer. Resist. Um, but do you have a favorite brewery in town? No free ads, but obviously, like, we all, we love beer. You want to you support local breweries around Cincinnati. Where's your go-to brewery in Cincinnati? Oh, good question. Maybe one for vibe, one for beer. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't get to enjoy the vibes very much, but I love, when I can get out, I love going to Mad Tree. Great pizza. Great little setup. I've have I have been to Alcove, the the restaurant downtown. So I'll um, I'll give Mad Tree a shout out there. I tend to find myself enjoying um, Fifty West and Braxton beers quite a bit when it's just like random ones. Now, as I, as a proud Ohio University graduate, I do love Jackios, and I will try to purchase Jackios whenever I find them out and and can do so. Um, but yeah, in terms of locally. Mad Tree, Ryan Geist, those are great. Always do those. But yeah, Braxton and um, 50 West, I, I tend to find myself enjoying quite a bit. Jackie O's is something that I haven't even heard of. Is it some? So it's something I could it's potentially. An, a, you're missing out. <clears throat> it's an Athens brewery. It's been around for a long time, but you can find them here. Um, I think Who Cooks for You is a pale ale, which I'm, I'm a big fan of. Mm. You can usually find that one around town. Um, they have great can designs and things like that. But yeah, a, a proud Athens brewery. They do a great job. The, uh, the player I, I'm going to shift to football for a little bit, but I want to ask one more basketball question before we do, we've been pretty exhaustive in, I've been exhaustive. I've probably, people are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but Victor Locken, a guy who people I think started the year getting excited about taking a leap has this horrible ankle injury, comes back and just looks a little less effective 
for the rest of the season. You know, a little less effective on defense, certainly less effective on offense, inconsistently in the game in terms of offensive production. But all in all, you look at the raw stats, raw production increases took a massive step forward from year one to year two. Or, you know, it's there's obviously the red shirt year in there as well. What does how does the staff view Victor Lockin in terms of his future development? Do they see him as a big that can take it steps further in terms of being a go-to big in the post once he gets stronger and bigger? Do they see him as like a foundational defensive anchor that can you know offer rim protection and block shots? Or do they see him as a big that says, hey, it's, it's limiting our upside with if he's your main post presence and we need to sort of maybe recruit over the top or recruit in unison with? Yeah, I think first of all, like, so he had the ankle injury late in the year. And then actually, as he was coming back from that, I think he actually kind of tweaked another injury, like lower body injury. And so that really just hampered, you know, the comeback altogether to the point that he was barely practicing at the end of the year. Um, and that just that that hurt him from kind of a comfortability flow standpoint. A lot of times he'd get on the floor and it looked like, man, you know, he, he doesn't look as as, you know, into it or as loose as he has before. And that's just because he wasn't he wasn't able to practice as much. He was fighting through a lot of stuff to play. Uh, and what I felt like maybe the Hofstra game was kind of like what, the first game. It looked like he was maybe you know, back to his old self a little bit. Um, so I think he just really struggled there at the end of the year. And to me, that's, so that's, that's the thing with Vic is he has all the talent in the world and he can only get better. And I think the staff feels that way too. The issue with him that has always been the case and will continue to be the case is his durability and his, his injury concern. And, you know, we saw it the year before we saw it this past year when he played at a really high level leading up to that. I think there's just this concern of, can he play 20, 25 minutes for 30 to 35 games a season? Um, and if he can, I think he's going to be a, a really good all league caliber player. Um, but what, like you say, whether you're recruiting over him or not, I, I think you're recruiting someone where it's like they can play best case scenario. They play with and alongside Vic if he's healthy. Um, and worst case scenario, they can kind of pick up the slack along with Odie and, you know, whoever else, if, if Vic gets hurt and goes down. Um, and so that's, you know, they certainly, you know, Vic put a lot of work into his body this past off season. I think we saw the the benefits of that and it's something he's going to have to do this off season as well. Cause if he can stay healthy, he, he's a huge piece, but that's always has been. And I think will always be the concern with Vic moving forward. So this year we get the, the monster factory comparison pick. Do we, do we get those this year with Vic? I, I hope so. Abs. <laughs> the most, in, the most self-indulgent question we had in the Cascola social club discord was from captain Cincy again, Justin. Uh, he said, what does Justin think of the stolen logos? I do. I, I see them on Twitter. I think they're great. Um, it was a fair self-indulgent question. I'm a, I'm a big fan of them. Do you have a favorite? Is there one that like just pops into your brain that says, Oh, I just, I love that stolen logo. I, yeah. I'd have to go back and look. There was, he did. Um, I remember liking the Arkansas one cause it was like the running bear cat you uh, know, yes. for the, instead of the razor back, back in football season. Um, and I, I thought I remember him doing a throwback one where he, he stole a throwback logo and inserted a, a bear cat logo like toward maybe towards the end of the basketball season, but I'd have to go back and look specifically, but I do remember I can see in my mind, the Arkansas one. That was a great one. The, uh, this wasn't a stolen logo, but the recent 
twist or version he did for the Xavier's Cincinnati baseball game that was played. And it was, it was the bear cat holding the skull, the decapitated skull of whatever that blue thing is that represents Xavier. That to me was the, the best the blue blob, the blue blob. That was the best creation Justin's ever made. And you can find all of that at captain underscore Cincy on Twitter and Instagram. What do you think Xavier's biggest accomplishment uh, was? There was a, a poll going around and said, you know, beating UC number one ranked team in the country or beating UConn twice uh, in one season. Uh, do you view those as accomplishments? Do you think Xavier should hang a banner for that? Would you, you know, should they be embarrassed that that's what they're hanging their hats on as the greatest accomplishments in, in their school's history? I'm, I'm loading this question up. I am an impartial journalist, so I'm not the person to come to for for Xavier slander. Um, I I enjoy he's winking winking his eye. I enjoy when when everyone, you know, goes goes about I'm not I can't quite remember how many final fours they've been to, but I enjoy when that stack gets brought up over and over again on on Twitter. Um, But yeah, I you know, I I enjoy watching the crosstown shootout um, fan back and forth from afar, but I'm, I'm, I'm just there watching as an onlooker. Justin, now, real quick. Now, if you want to ask me some things excited? about Miami, Ohio, Miami of Ohio, I have tons of Ooh, shade. Miami, Ohio them. takes. Get yeah. him, Hummer. Yeah. As, as, a, as a proud Bobcat. Um, but no, I'm, I'm sorry. What you think about Oxford. Do they still dress the same in 2023 as they did back in 2007? Just Sperry and North Face, I'm assuming, yeah. <laughs> I need I need a quick clarification before I ask this this question, Justin. Did you start covering UC when Mick Cronin was still the head basketball coach? I did. My last I started covering um, the end of the I guess it would be seventeen eighteen season. Um, can't remember how that ended uh, in a freelance <laughs> capacity, and then his final season, uh, which I guess would be eighteen nineteen. That was like my first full season on the beat. Yes. So Mary fuck kill. Cronin, Brannon, Miller. I, I, as an impartial journalist, I once again have have to abstain. It's a fair question, but I, I have to abstain. We all know there's a right answer here. Probably only one of those are taking my calls, if that matters at all. But... <laughs> really, you've got beef. You've got beef with I'll... Mick. I don't. I don't have beef with anyone. It's just that doesn't mean they're. I will answer all three of their calls, but I. I. I I think only one, and maybe on a good day, will answer my calls. <laughs> so good, so good. Um, I don't, I'm not going to go too deep on football with you, and, and frankly, you've been so generous with your time despite the uh, the flu, and you, you're doing a great job. This is this. Thank you. I I might call this your flu game. Now I'm wait. I need to. We need to see how it finishes. You you, uh, you would have nailed it had you answered the Mary fuck killer question. Right? <laughs> um, let me let me ask you a little bit about football. It's hard to talk about because obviously there's only been some a few practices and we haven't seen any games and Scott Satterfield's only had half of his staff for like four days. So tell me tell me a little bit about, you know, first impressions of the Scott Satterfield era in terms of just things that have kind of stood out to you and caught your eye as just dramatic differences from what you've seen from past regimes. Yeah, the one thing that jumps out to me, and I don't know if it's going to show up from like an outward perspective or or fans will be able to notice because so much of it isn't like internal in the way the program runs. But 
Scott Satterfield and Luke Fickle are just completely different personalities. And that's not to say, you know, one's better than the other, but like Luke Fickle is intense and kind of old school football. And, you know, Scott Satterfield is, is pretty laid back and easygoing and really analytical. Yeah. Really analytical. And that does, that gets used <laughs> against him. And that's not to say like, I've been out at practice. I've seen him rip into the team after practice, seen him ripping. He yelled at some wide receiver today. Cause he was like running in motion when they were trying to clock the ball. Like he's not just, you know, Oh, shucks, you know, we lost that's that sucks fellas. Um, <laughs> but they're just like a completely different, personality At least you had fun <laughs> <laughs> he, he, that does get put on him and I, I don't think that's totally accurate He's, he is he is competitive I wrote you know that that whole feature about that but they're just very different you know personality types and I think the way that they coach and lead a team is is kind of very different so I'm curious to see how that works especially when the majority there's been a lot of turnover but the majority of the roster are guys who were recruited under the the previous staff and uh, played under the previous staff how do you then kind of respond to a, a new directive and, and a new staff so again i don't know you know how that shows up necessarily in terms of what people see on the field and things like that but that's you know the culture of the program is going to be very different just on the way that both of those guys tend to run things. And so I think that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out in terms of on the field. I think this defense should still be really good. I know that's kind of been the calling card for, for Cincinnati under fickle. I think that will continue. Uh, part of that is kind of what they're getting back, especially on the defensive line. You know, Satterfield talked to after practice on Wednesday about, you know, yeah, the offensive line, you know, we need to move them along, but it's also tough to judge them because they're going against Juwan Briggs and Dante Corleone and Malik Fan. And, you know, he, he said basically like they're not going to play anybody this year stronger than Dante Corleone. So, yeah, they might not look very good sometimes, but that's because the defensive line's really good. I think some of the pieces they added on defense in the portal, Dorian Jones, DJ Taylor, Jordan Young, I think those are going to be like impact guys for them this season uh and the way brian brown plays defensively like there's a little bit of marcus freeman in him in terms of he's really aggressive really instinctive he wants his guys to go make plays and we've seen that in you know spring practice in terms of guys making interceptions and fumbles aren't as common because you're not you know tackling live necessarily all the time but getting their hands on passes and um and kind of creating big plays that way offensively I, I, go ahead well i was just gonna say i, th- I think we can't underestimate how how much of an upgrade that's going to be over Trestle? That guy sucked. Keep going. <laughs> I believe he didn't he win assistant coach of the year. Um, yeah, those words, to, those words mean nothing. I loved how <laughs> I loved how. By the way, that's something that's the hilarious thing about fans though. Like, oh, Trestle won. He sucked. That that award means nothing. Tom Manning won that award. Yeah, he won that award. <laughs> the former nominee. You know what I mean? That word means nothing. It's political. Um. So offensively, uh, I think it's a work in progress. I think like it's pretty clear it's going to be either Ben Bryan or Emory Jones. I think how that plays out and how that gets decided will be really interesting because the offense is going to be impacted quite a bit by whoever, you know, that quarterback is. Scott Satterfield has been very upfront and honest that they need to add wide receivers in this next uh, transfer portal. And anyone who's been at practice and watched would understand, like they just, they need bodies first of all, um, but they definitely need to upgrade at that position. Uh, And so how does that, how does that that reveal itself? Is it drops? Is it just confusion? How do you, how can you tell, is it so obvious that they need them? Part of it is just lack of numbers. Like I, I think they would prefer to have about 11 scholarship players, 
at wide receiver, and I think they have six right now, five or six. That's not very many wide receivers. And that's, yeah, that's just turnover of guys going to the NFL, guys going to the transfer portal. You know, they added a few uh, during the past window, but they just need more bodies there, first of all, but definitely some some playmakers. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, it's kind of hard to, to judge because you're judging the quarterback a lot off of what the receivers do, and, you you know, you feel like they don't have their full roster in place on that front. I think they'd probably like to add an, an offensive tackle, which – most programs probably would. Um, but I think they'd like to, you know, fill out the depth on their offensive line and really depth in general, I think will be the biggest challenge for them this year. I think, you know, when they get to the season, they'll feel pretty good about their top 22, 25 guys total, you know, 12, 13, 14 guys on either side of the ball, but it's not going to stay that way the whole season guys are going to get hurt. And so I think the question for them becomes, what do they have on that second and third team depth chart line that's going to be able to come in and play at a power conference level? Um, and whether it's because they're just too young and not developed or they just don't have them yet, I think that's going to be the the biggest challenge and kind of the thing I'm watching as, as they get closer to the season. One thing that was, was made a lot about when he was hired was that he did get this really nice chunk of cash to use on his staff. Um, you know, assistant coaches, but as we came to learn, also like a football support staff. And the big position that jumped out to me was Zach Grant being hired as the general manager of the football team. Um, can you tell me about what that means exactly? What is the GM doing for a, for a Bearcats football program or a college football program? Yeah, I mean, I think it, part of it's just title. Like it's it's a recruiting coordinator, recruiting director. But as you have more responsibilities with uh, the transfer portal and, and NIL and things like that, like, you know, you kind of can give more responsibilities to whoever's in that position. Uh, and if you have a general manager, then that also allows you to hire a direct recruiting director, recruiting coordinator kind of below them. And so, yeah, Zach Grant, Jack Griffith, Cass Simmons, Carter Wilson. Um, this is the biggest recruiting staff that the Bearcats have had football um, in the history of the program. And, you know, it, it goes deeper than that. They have, um, I don't know what the total numbers they have in their recruiting staff, but they have put a lot of resources into that. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, you're looking for, what do you feel good about for the future of the program? I think the investment that Satterfield has made in the recruiting staff um, is really has been really well put, really you know done well so far, and, and I think that's going to help them moving forward. How does a recruiting staff differentiate itself? Like, is it you know what? Like, what are they doing? Are they surveying the landscape? Are they sort of poking around to see what kind of players might become available in the transfer portal? Are they are they scouring the high school ranks to get a sense of of who's who's out there? What's 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 it look like? Yeah, I think talent evaluation is is the biggest key. And like Jack Griffith, he's a guy who he spent a year as an NFL scout, like. You know, he understands kind of what you're looking at at the highest level in terms from a talent, you know, evaluation perspective. Uh, Zach Grant and Cass Simmons have been at Ohio State. Say what you want about Ohio State. They usually tend to get really good players on the, on the football field. So I think it starts there. And look, this is always something that like this is what I think made Luke Fickle such a, a great coach is he had an eye for talent, undervalued talent oftentimes you know, in the state of Ohio, he could just find guys who this guy fits our system and who cares what his star rating is or, you know, what he played in high school. Um, I think he can play and and then they bring him in and develop him. Um, but I, I think the, 
from the recruiting standpoint, talent evaluation is kind of where it has to start. Um, and I, I certainly think that they have some bona fides in that area. And then it's, you know, it's always relationship stuff. And a lot of that comes down to the coaching staff too. Um, but you have to be targeting the right guys. Um, and so I think a lot of efforts and um, resources have been put towards that in terms of hiring and building out the recruiting department is who cares what their star rating is or who cares when to, where they went to high school or, or whatever. Here's the way we want to play here. Are kind of how we see these positions being on the field go find the guys that, that fit that. Um, and so again, how long it takes to kind of see that flesh out on the field. I don't know, probably maybe not this fall necessarily. Um, but as you get a couple classes in, I'll be interested to see some of these guys who they bring in, you know, whatever their recruiting ratings might've been, what do they look like when they get on the field? Well, Justin, before I don't, I can't, I don't know if you guys can tell on your side, I like being fully transparent. My computer looks like it's about to, catch on fire i don't know what's happening it's going slow motion we've got hummer flushing toilets in the background things are getting weird um but that's that's usually what happens after you're an hour in so our pets heads are falling off (laughs) (laughs) um so a final question sure and it's it's if we're we're what are we april 6th we're only a couple short months away from from the summertime. Do we have any early contenders for Song of the Summer? A song that's going to be on your Spotify that you're going to be ripping your shirt off to, hitting the pool, throwing the trunks on. What's 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 on your playlist right now? So this, this is a, a very hard question for me to answer because I will say, people always tell you like when you have kids, you have to give up some things, and like music new music specifically is just something that i have like movies and music i have kind of totally lost the thread on like whatever is new and cool and exciting i i I probably don't know about it or haven't gotten to it yet um if especially if it's like a new band i haven't heard before so i don't even know what would be like a reasonably good answer to that question the only like relatively new song i've heard is that Miley Cyrus Flowers song, which might be good, but I've heard it like so much on TikTok that I I can't even so stand good. to listen so to it good. anymore. Oh, it's um, so good. But that's like that's the the best that I could even offer. I did the the national again. Back to my sad white dad rock. Uh, they put out a new single a couple weeks ago where they shouted out the Afghan wigs, um, which which was cool little Cincinnati connection. But I'm I'm the wrong guy to ask about new music. I'm picturing white tube socks with sandals. Like when I hear like, is this what they're rocking out on stage now for this white dad? <laughs> you know, soft rock. He's a Saint Which, guy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He is Matt, Matt Berninger. He's, he's a, a Saint X grad. You, I should ask you guys though. What should I, so isn't this the thing you wear, you dress up in the era that your favorite era for the eras tour. Correct. Oh, that's a good question, Hummer. Ooh, do you, I, Hummer would know the answer mm. to this, don't you? Have I thought, tickets? I thought that was like I've, seen, I've been seeing. I've been seeing people on Facebook dressing up for it. That's what I've been seeing, um, and they do seem to be wearing kind of like uh, the eras ish outfits. Um, but I feel like they're almost all the same, you know, when it comes to 1989 to the to the present. Like all her kind of style hasn't really deviated that much. Maybe folklore. I guess you have a big reputation was folklore. quite a deviation. <laughs> I don't. 
I mean, I'm seeing she always wears the tight black pants and with like the white shirt, like, you know, like a tight white, white shirt. I don't think you dress up as know? Taylor Swift. You dress up as the embodiment. That's what I'm seeing people. Well, I'm I, seeing people dressing up as Taylor Swift. I can't Swift. pull that off. Um, I can maybe pull off <laughs> that furniture. But, so you're um, dressing, let me, let me ask you, let me ask for some clarification here. You're dressing as like the era in which the album came out or the era that the album represents? Like, would you be dressing like you were from 1989? Is that what you're saying? I assume that the album is the era and then you dress as, as that era. So like, if you're, if you're a red era fan, then you're wearing like the fall scarf and the big brim, like white Christian. Got it. Um, If your reputation, you're like black dominatrix. If you're folklore, your sweater cardigan type type deal. So I'm, I'm just, and where, Again, maybe I'm totally wrong. I really do not want to upset the Swifties. I apologize if I'm wrong on this, but that's that was my understanding. Where are you seeing where where are you seeing this concert? Which one are you going to? The one at Paycor. It's the first one, which I believe is June thirtieth. I think okay. it's thirtieth and July first, right? Sounds right. Hummer, are you going uh, do you have tickets, Hummer? No, I wasn't able to score them. I was wow. not able to score uh, I was part Tick, of the Ticketmaster strikes again. Yeah, they they struck again, but um it's funny because you mentioned like the, the first half of bread and, and the second half of bread. And I think there's parts of like folklore uh, where it's like the first half of that album is fire. And then the back half of it's like, what are, what are you doing to me here? Why, why are you making where, me sit? What was this? Betty on? Betty was great. That's a, that's a hit. I don't remember, but I'm definitely going, I have a lot of cardigans. Um, I have a lot of like Tommy Bahama. Yeah. When I say Tommy Bahama, like fake flannel shirts. So that that's probably what I'd be rocking. With a pair of aviators. I don't, I don't think she's hit her Tommy Bahama era yet. That'll be like <laughs> she hasn't hit that much yet. later in her career. <laughs> Betty was on folklore for the record. The more I'm saying this, guys, I am becoming a dad. Okay, I'm wearing boring clothes. I'm wearing cardigans. And don't look down from your socks. ivory tower at us and your Tommy Bahama shirts. <laughs> you know, I've got a, I've got a very clear. I've got a, I've got a strong desire to get into your TikTok algorithm, here. Justin. But I'm going to resist the urge. Next time you're on, we're diving into that TikTok algorithm. We're and can't, maybe it's banned wait. by then. Maybe it doesn't even exist. But just that's true. Re- remember what's going on on your TikTok because next time we have you on, I want to dive into that. But for now, let's let you go, Justin Williams. You could find your work on the Athletic, obviously. Wait, wait, we can't let him off that that early. One, one more thing. I know you're not big in the predictions. This is the last one, but then I'll let Coomer let you go. Okay. First seasons in the Big 12, basketball, football. Where do we finish? The rosters. Come on, man. It's unfair. Yeah, it's unfair. It's way too early. I know. Way too early. That's why it's a hard question. I have to to abstain. But promise us you'll make a prediction before the season happens once rosters have been completed. When rosters are more set and you have me back. Assuming you still hold me to this, yes, I will make a prediction. Oh, we're definitely holding holding you to this. So follow Justin Williams on Twitter at Williams underscore Justin. His work is on the Athletic. He's a tremendous follow on Twitter, but also your work is is well done. It's it's a great read, and it's what keeps me subscribed to the Athletic because before it was an effort to support my friend, but now all I do is ask my friend if I can hold a dollar. And then we you can follow him in the Discord at. Can I get a pair? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I will quickly let you guys throw out. I'll quickly let you guys throw out five, five handles, whatever they're called in the Discord. And if you, if if I am one of those handles, I promise you, I will tell you yes. 
Um, it's me, doggy dog. No. <laughs> That's one, Hummer. We have four more guesses. I got to go. Through. I've already done that one. It's not even funny anymore. Uh, you're definitely Bearcat Fan 85. <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm going to guess that you are just for comedy. Are you Professor Butts? I am not Professor Butts. Isn't there a professor like there is a Professor Butts on Twitter? I believe. Yeah, it's. it's we know that who would, it that is. Would be, that would be that would be wrong. To, it was just too funny. To cuckold that name. It was too funny not to say. I'm sorry. You know, as I was doing this, you're like you're neither confirming nor denying the existence of a burner account. But even if there's not one in there, we're all going to think it's in there. I now. just figured out who it is, Hummer. Can I guess? Yeah, it's Uret Bormark. No. Oh, is it you? No. That's a, I guess I guess it's a good name, but no, that's not me. <laughs> Do we have two? I more promise. Guesses? If it were me, I would tell you. Two more guesses. Sure. Well, I'll I'll disallow, or I'll I won't count Professor don't, Butts. Don't count. Don't count Professor Butts. <laughs> Your fun uncle. Did that already get guessed or no? No. Your fun not, uncle. Me. No. Ah, oh, crap. One more. One more. <laughs> There's so many good ones. There's some here. weird names in here. I, I can't. Is Justin the kind of guy who's going to go with the comedic effect? I feel like you're a comedy guy. Like you're going to try and make people laugh, put a silly name in there, and just never say anything. And who, who are those people? Who are those people? My last. <laughs> it's me, doggy dog. Gets me every time. Um, we are going to go with. Are you Chad? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Chad. <laughs> All right, Justin. Appreciate you being on the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. You can find his work in the Discord under some anonymous name um, and then also on The Athletic. Thanks, buddy, for doing this.